So I've been married, Patty and I have been married 54 years. And uh, when we started 54 years ago, our marriage, you know, if we were to rank it in a scale of 1 to 100, 100 being awesome, amazing, incredible, and 1 being terrible, awful, we were about a 3, maybe a two and a half. So we weren't too good at the start end because she was a city girl and I was a country boy. I was raised by a dad who was a cross between John Wayne and Archie Bunker. And uh, my wife was raised by a dad who treated his three daughters like Cinderella. And so there was a major culture gap between us when we got married. And uh, so there was lots of conflict. Now, 54 years later, uh, in my humble opinion, there has no marriage ever been better than ours. We're the best marriages ever existed in the history of mankind. Now, if I were to say there was some breakthroughs or some secrets or some things I would, yeah, I don't know. It just was 54 years. You know, that's a long time to be married to the same woman. And if you're thinking that you're going to be married to the same woman for all of your life, you kind of want to figure out how to make it pleasant and not a pain. So it was just a little bit, just a little bit, just a little bit. Just a little bit, just a little bit better. I don't think in 54 years we've ever gone backwards in the sense of our relationship. So we've never made any what you might call huge advances or discoveries or secrets. But it's just been a little bit better, a little bit better every year, just a little bit. But if you keep getting a little bit better and don't go backwards, after a while, you're in heaven. That's Pretty straightforward, simple kinds of things. Now, when we're talking tonight about becoming holy, becoming righteous, conquering sin, um, it, it's all about Jesus. And so if we can look at it another way, let's just pretend that we're married to Jesus. And at the front end, there's a lot of difference. There's a huge culture gap between Jesus and I at the front end. But... We're going to be with him forever and ever and ever and ever. So we kind of want to get along with him and be like him and enjoy him and him and enjoy us. And so it's a journey. I've been a Christian now for 60 years. And when I started, I was like the world's worst sinner. And now I'm up there to about, I'm only the fourth or fifth worst sinner. You know, so I've been making progress a little bit, just a little bit, a little bit. And so, but you don't go back. Don't go backwards. Never go backwards. Just keep pushing on a little bit, a little bit more, a little bit more. And you keep becoming, and you keep becoming more and more like him. So let me read our passage tonight as we're going through Second Peter. Second Peter 2, 19 through 22. They themselves are slaves of corruption. Slaves of corruption. That doesn't sound like a good place to be. Slaves of corruption. For by what a man has overcome, overcome, by this he is enslaved. Enslaved. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them, entangled in them, and are overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness and and, and than having known it to turn away from the holy commandment Hand it on to them. It has happened to them according to the proverb. A dog returns to its own vomit. A sow after washing returns to wallowing in the mire. 
So, Peter's talking about people that have this, uh, 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 uh. they just can't seem to get off the ground. And they make some progress, but then they're back. And the thing about it is if you, you ever discover this, losing weight? If you weigh 200 pounds and you go on a really strong diet and you get down to 190 and then you kind of slip, you don't go up to 200 pounds, you go up to 205 Ah, oh, I'm going to diet some more. And so then you go back down to 190. And then you go, you, you, get, you go up to 210. And it just kind of goes like this. It's just always a little bit worse than it was once you slip back to where you were before. That's the way it is in our spiritual life. And so the secret is don't go backwards. Don't ever go backwards. Just go forward, even if it's a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. Always be moving, because the moment you plateau, you're going to go backwards. It's inevitable. So we want to grow, we want to grow, we want to grow. And uh, so just like Patty and I, over the years, we've just discovered some things that work between us. A little secret here, a little technique here, a little rule here, a little something here. And we just keep moving. Same thing's true walking with Jesus. We'll learn how to become holy and righteous like him a little bit at a time. And we never go backwards. So I'm going to give you a dozen disciplines, dozen keys, things to practice in order to grow, to become like Jesus in character. Number one, know and acknowledge that holiness is God's will. Holiness is God's will for our life. And so the big emphasis today in the American church is grace. It's free. Heaven's free. You don't have to be good. You don't have to go to church. You don't have to give any money. You don't have to pray. You don't have to read your Bible. It's free. Grace, salvation is free. Now that's true, but that's just getting in the front door. That's not, that's just the start. Now that we're free in heaven, we want to grow. That's God's will for my life. That's his will for your life. He wants us to grow to become like him in character so that we can enjoy him forever and ever and ever. First Peter 1, we went through First Peter last year, 4 through 16, 14 through 16. As obedient children, obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy. Be holy yourselves in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. All right. Be holy in all your behavior 100%. Because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. So how many are there? You got her? You're holy? As holy as Jesus is. Uh oh. Forgot to turn my phone off. It's announcing a score. Oh. The game between Gold State. Uh, it started. I might check the score periodically if you don't mind. <laughs> so sometimes we'll read that and we'll say, yeah, right. And we just kind of dismiss it. That's for some religious dude or somebody. That is God's will right there for me, for you, for all of us. And we have to acknowledge that up front. This is what God wants for me. Be holy in all your behavior because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Now, 
I might not make that, but I'm going to be closer to it tomorrow than I am today. And I'm going to be closer to it the next day than I am tomorrow. And I'm always going to be moving a little bit closer, a little bit closer. And if I live to be 117, I'm going to make it. Maybe. We'll see. But you just keep moving up, never back. Always up, never back. Because that's your, that's your goal. That's what you aspire to, to be holy. In all my behavior, even as he is. Ephesians 1.4, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless. That we would be holy and blameless. That's what God wants from me. So I'm moving that direction every day. A little bit, a little bit, a little bit. Not a lot, just a little bit, but more, better, closer Every day. First Timothy 6.11. Flee. Flee from these things. These things. That's bad things. Ungodly things. You man of God. Pursue righteousness. Pursue righteousness. Godliness. Faith. Love. Perseverance. Gentleness. Pursue it. Work hard for it. First Timothy 6.13. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. You keep the commandment without stain or reproach. That means you don't mess up. Second Timothy 2.22. Now flee from youthful lust. Pursue righteousness. Pursue righteousness. First Peter 3.11. He must turn away from evil. Turn away from evil. Do good. Seek peace. Pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears attend to their prayer. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. That's pretty clear. Romans 6, 1 and 2. What should we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? Oh, they had it back then too. Yeah, clear back in Paul's day. They said, yeah, it doesn't matter what you do, how you act. You're saved by grace. Look at that. Continue in sin. After all, we're saved by grace. Paul says, may it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? So, the thinking. Grace is amazing. And it gives us security. I'm going to pursue holiness every day. I'm going to grow in my ability to be like Jesus. But I might have a bad day. And if I do, it'll be my wife's fault. So, do I have to worry about that? No, it'll be disappointing. But I'm still headed for heaven. See, my salvation is sort of like a safety harness. When I'm climbing this sheer rock wall with a rope and someone hanging on the other end, I can, uh, 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 I can climb. I'm going to take it. Oh, that's a big, I don't know if I can make it. Uh, oops. I'm not dead. I'm just going to get back on the wall, start climbing some more. I had a safety harness. So I'm going to have some slips and some oops and I'm going to fall, but I'll just get up on the wall and start climbing some more. Pretty soon I'll make it to the top. I'll have some slips, I'll have some uh, oops, but it's not a crisis because I got this harness on and this rope and somebody's hanging on the rope at the other end. 
that's grace. It's not license to do whatever you want. It's the power to grow and accept failure as part of the growing without it being the end of the show. So I can attempt and I can press and I'll fall, but I'll get back and keep climbing and have another fall, keep climbing. Grace is my security. I don't have to worry about failing because I want, I want, I want to be holy. And I'm going to press on towards that goal. Number two, hate the sin in your life. Don't hate yourself. So I've had this conversation with dozens of people who they listen to me and they say, okay, okay, I'm going to press on. I'm going to set some goals. I'm going to read my Bible and I'm going to go to corporate prayer and I'm going to pray with my wife and I'm going to give sacrificially of my money and they're just working at it and doing good and then they mess up and then they just, oh, I'm a dirty, rotten sinner. Ah, I can't do anything right. I'm so stupid. Just a pile of dirt good for nothing. Ah." And they lose all their motivation because they don't know how to talk to themselves. You know, when I blow it, I say, Duke, you're wonderful. You're the best looking dude on the planet Earth. You can sing better than anybody else, too. Now, I don't believe any of that, but, you know, I like to talk nice to myself. And, hey, come on, you can do it. Let's go. So, I never, occasionally, when my wife's listening, I say, Duke, get out of that recliner. You lazy, no good for nothing bum. And she's standing there. She says, what? Who are you talking to? I said, me. You shouldn't talk to yourself like that. I know it. I'm just pretending. I'm okay. So, hate the sin in your life. Hate it. Hate it. But you've got to be able to separate your failures from the sin in you. I'm a cool dude. I like me. I look at myself in the mirror every day. Wow. Thank you, Lord, for making me me. I like me. It's not an arrogant, prideful thing. It's just I'm comfortable with who I am and where I am. But I hate the sin. When I sin, oh, I hate it. And sometimes it's just like, oh, you, you did it again. Ah. I can fix this. I can, I can do better than this. I can grow and I will. And so it's a, it's a self-talk sort of a thing, but it's also, uh, it's just not letting sin, failure, mistakes beat you up to the point where you just don't want to try. I was talking to a, a young man and I had worked with him for years on setting goals and man, he was just cruising. And so I was with him. I hadn't been with him for almost a year. I hadn't seen him. I said, so how'd you do in your goals last year? He said, I didn't set any. I said, what? Why? He said, well, because last year I, I didn't. I mean, I just messed, messed them up. Didn't do very good. So I just thought, I'm not going to set any goals. Because I don't like failing. I said, well, there's an easier way than not setting goals. He said, what's that? I said, just adjust them a little bit you were probably within a fraction of succeeding on everyone that you failed and if you just downsized it a little bit you would have accomplished it and still made forward progress 
But at least talk to yourself. Recognize, oh, I almost did that one. Cool, I can do that one. Oh, I didn't quite make it, but I can make it. Uh, Just don't talk to yourself like a loser. Because you're not. You're a child of God headed for heaven with the Spirit of God living inside of you. And so we say what Paul said, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I love Jesus. He loves me. I'm headed for heaven and I am going to become a holy vessel, useful to him, prepared for every good work. And so you just talk to yourself the way Jesus sees you. And don't beat yourself up when you fail. Hate sin? I hate it. Oh man, I hate it. But I kind of like me. I like me. You know why I do? Because my wife likes me. Psalms 97.10 Hate evil. You who love the Lord, who preserves the souls of his godly ones. Proverbs 8.13 The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance and the evil way. Perverted mouth. Psalms 36.2 It flatters him in his own eyes concerning the discovery of his own iniquity and the hatred of it. Ephesians 5.29 No one ever hated his own flesh, nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. Number three, confess all known sin daily. This is a biggie. So do you know what was the number one biggest discovery in my marriage life? Every problem is my fault. At least from my perspective. Once I got that one down, man alive, we just cruised. Every problem was my fault. Now, it might not have been. It probably wasn't. But I owned it. I took it. I accepted it. I pursued it that way. I dealt with it that way. I talked to Patty that way. Every problem we had in our marriage was my fault. In the early days, every problem we had was her fault. And I would tell her about it. I'd say, woman, you'd do it this way, we wouldn't have this problem. Come on, straighten up. You want to have me check into marriage counseling or what? Uh, You can imagine, we didn't make real good progress. But once I owned it all, owned it all, and took responsibility for it all, Man, we just went cruising right along. And we never went backwards after that particular time in our life. So when I blow it, I own it. I don't blame it on you. I don't blame it on the weather. I don't blame it on the devil. I don't blame it on my wife. I don't blame it on my dog. I own it. I did it. And I confess it to the Lord Jesus as a mistake, as a sin, as a Blown opportunity, whatever it was. Psalms 51, uh, Psalms 1, uh, Psalms, 1 John 1, 9. Uh, If we confess our sins, if is the first word. That's the biggest word in the verse. If we confess our sins. Confess means I did it. Nobody's fault. Mine. I did it. He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sin, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. People want to ask me, what if I can't remember all of them? Forgive us if we confess our sins. That's the ones you know, that you remember, that you can think of. 
He will forgive us and cleanse us. That means he will forgive you for the ones you confess and also for the ones that you couldn't remember. He will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So people will say, Pastor, what if I can't remember? Confess all known sins to God. What if I can't remember? Confess all known sins to God. But, but there's so many things I confess all known sins to God. You got it yet? Known. You mean I, all I have to do is confess all known sins to God? Yeah, all known sins. All sins that you're aware of. Confess those and he will forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Now, is that a deal or what? Confess, own, don't justify, don't excuse, don't blame. I did it. I blew it. And he will forgive and he will cleanse. Psalms 51.1, be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion. Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only I've sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are justified when you speak, blameless when you judge. That's verse 4, jumping to verse 7 in the same chapter. Purify me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquities. This is David after his sin of adultery with Bathsheba and having her husband killed. Um, I mean, I've sinned. I'm not, you know, we can confess. Who's done the worst sin? I mean, I've probably, I mean, uh, I don't know. I've done some kind of bad things in my life. Not, I've never robbed a bank. I've never killed anybody. Um, and, you know, I've never really cussed much. I said a few little, a couple of times said damn, but crap a lot. But, okay, how bad is really bad or medium bad or okay bad um, and doesn't matter. Wash me, cleanse me, and you will forgive me of everything. David, he committed adultery with another man's wife and then he had that dude killed on purpose. I've not come close to that one. In fact, I haven't even thought of doing that one. I'm a long ways from David. And I'm probably a long ways from some of you. But he forgave David. And so it doesn't seem like how bad it was matters. You own it. He confessed it. And God forgave him and cleansed him and washed him. Psalms 32, 3 through 5. When I kept silent about my sin, David again... My body wasted away through my groaning all day long. Day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. I mean, that's as straightforward as you can get. I acknowledged my sin to you and you forgave the guilt of my sin. That's what God does. That's what he does for me for... But the first word, I, F, if. So, when's the last time you sort of in a formal way said, Lord, I sinned, owned it, acknowledged it, and a particular sin? When's the, you know, think today, 
yesterday, last week. Did you know the average Christian rarely ever confesses sins to God unless it's like killing somebody? Or, I mean, really bad. Usually where there's some significant consequences. But if it's just going through the day and getting irritated, getting angry, telling somebody off, telling a white lie. Uh, we rarely ever confess those to God. Why? Because we just have this thing inside of us that wants to cover all the mistakes up. We want to look in the mirror and see the zits and put some makeup on them. So we look pretty. And so it's easy to ignore our failures and our sins unless they're big ones and they just drive us crazy with guilt. But we get used to the little ones, the anger, the impatience, uh, the shortness, the rudeness, the way we talk and treat people. We get used to that. That's just kind of life. We don't hardly ever confess that. Did you know that if you don't, you'll keep doing it? You'll keep doing it. You'll you'll be a slave to it. If you're going to overcome any sin, you have to confess it and own it as sin before you get the power from God to conquer it. But if you ignore it, you're just going to do it again. And you're just going to do it again. Over and over and over because it's not that bad. And so we don't get better. Because we don't deal with the little ones. Number four, don't justify, excuse, or blame others for any sin in your life. To confess your sin is to own your sin. Justifying, excusing, blaming, that's a way of life. That's pretty much what we do without even thinking about it. It's somebody's fault. And we blame things on everybody around us. And so you don't want to do that one ever. Genesis 3.12. The man said, Adam, the woman, it's her fault. She's the one who gave me the fruit to eat. So it started right at the very get-go. Now here's a cool one. Moses said to Aaron, remember Moses goes up on the mountain to get the Ten Commandments? He's gone for 40 days. And the people get sort of impatient. And they say, where's Moses at anyway? Mo- Aaron, you take charge. And where's this God at that we've been following? Let's have a, make us a new one. And so Aaron does like one of the stupidest things that you read about in the Bible. Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you have brought such great sin upon them? Aaron said, do not let the anger of my Lord burn. You know this people. They're prone to evil. So they said to me, make a God for us who will go before us. For this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we don't know where he went. I said to them, whoever has any gold, let him tear it off. So they gave it to me and I threw it into the fire. Out popped this calf. I mean, who with any kind of sense is going to say that kind of dumb excuse to Moses? I mean, I just threw the gold in the fire and poof, out come this calf. Like, give me a break. That sounds like something a four-year-old kid would say. That's a dumb excuse, but that's what Aaron did. Why? That's what we do. Dumb excuse, intelligent excuse, it doesn't matter. 1 Samuel 15, 20. 
Pastor Mike's been preaching about Saul. Saul said to Samuel, and Samuel says, what is this you have done, Samuel? I mean, Saul, God gave you strict instructions. And Saul says, I did obey the voice of the Lord, and I went on the mission on which the Lord sent me, and he and have brought back Agog, Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. Now, the command was to not bring anything back, no cows, no sheep, no donkeys, no goats, no poodle dogs, nothing. He said, but the people took some of the spoils, sheep and oxen, the choicest of the things devoted to destruction. Uh, they, they got it so they could sacrifice to the Lord. Samuel said, has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of lambs. For rebellion is as the sin of divination. Insubordination is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you from being king. That was a bad choice that Saul made right there. God said, kill everything. And he brings all the sheep and the cattle and the goats and the poodle dogs back. And he says, what my idea is those people, they did it. I wonder what would have happened. I mean, we don't know, but wonder what would have happened had Samuel said to Saul, Saul, what's the deal here? And Saul would have gotten on his knees and said, I blew it. I was bad. I just gave in to temptation. I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? I think we would have had a different story. But instead... Saul just excused and justified and blamed the people. And he was out. He was out. David was in. Number five, the really tough sin habits. There's some things that we want to get over and we do it and then we do it again and we do it again and we do it again. We've all had those. The really tough sin habits confess to others. But only confess your sins to those you trust who will faithfully pray for your victory over sin. Now, this is the secret of the power and success of support groups. People that struggle with pornography, with alcohol, with drugs, they get involved in a support group. And what they do is, I have this problem. They get together each week and they share how they've done. They confess their sins to each other. And they pray for each other. And there's amazing power in that process. It's amazing how the world has discovered how well that works and how the church has been lagging in that department. The reason is because, you know, I'm a pastor. I'm holy. And I never sin. So I'm not going to tell you if I do so that you think I am holy. I'm going to keep it a secret if I blow it because I want to make sure you think I'm cool. And so we all walk around doing that. I don't want you to think I'm not, you know, walking with Jesus, so I'm not going to tell you if I blow it. And so then we just keep blowing it. James 5:16, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. That healing there is not healed from cancer, it's healing from sin. Confess your sins to one another, pray for one another that you might be healed of that sin, power, addiction that's in your life. That doesn't mean that we don't pray for people that are sick, but that's not what this one is saying. It's talking about healed from sin, the addiction to it. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Our pride is the problem here. Uh, But it's amazing, like, when you 
you know, in a group when everybody has the same problem, how much easier it is to unload and to have them pray for you and how much faster you will grow and gain victory over it together. Now, the most important principle, one of the most important principles is that together we can accomplish anything. Separate, independent, we can accomplish nothing. Spiritual lone rangers fail over and over and over again. God gives his strength to me through you. He gives his strength to you through me. Through each other, our interactions, our connections, our praying for, our supporting for, our encouraging each other is how we grow. We do it together, always together. The more independent, self-sufficient we are, the less we'll grow. It's a basic principle of the New Testament in the body of Christ, the church. But in our country, we value John Wayne. I don't need you. I have my horse and my gun. Who needs you? I got a horse and a gun and, and my dog to boot. I'm good. It's the John Wayne cult. Uh, I can't do it without you. You can't do it without me. And the person who thinks they can is going to fail over and over and over again. <clears throat> Number six, maintain faithfulness in your Bible reading and scripture memory. So this is a basic of the basics. So I'm going to grow a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit every day, every week, every month, just a little bit more as long as I am faithfully reading my Bible. Faithfulness in the Word of God results in steadiness in growth. Faithfulness in the Word of God results in steadiness in growth. Psalms 119, verse 9. How can a young man... I've changed that in my Bible. Mine says, how can an old man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. Your word I have memorized, meditated on, so that I may not sin against you. God's word is his power. God's grace comes into our life through his word. The Holy Spirit works in our life through his word. His word is foundational to all growth and all relationship with Jesus Christ. Psalms 37, 31. The law of his God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. The law of God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. So if you call me on the phone and say, Pastor D, I, I need to have an appointment with you. I say, okay. When do you want to meet? Uh, let's meet right before the Wednesday service. Cool. Okay. And then you confess to me that you're struggling with pornography. I say, okay, I can help you with that one. That's a piece of cake. How do you know it's a piece of cake? Because I've helped a whole bunch of guys get over it. We've got a support group that does it. But let me ask a couple questions first. Let me ask you this question. How's your Bible reading? Well, uh, not good, huh? You don't read every day? No? Okay. So that's your first assignment. Your first goal is to get that one down. Do you know what that will take? That'll take self-control. That'll take self-control. And so you're going to read your Bible every day, every day, every day. Let's come up with a schedule. Come see me next week. I'll ask you how you did. And if you did bad, I'm going to smack you with a two-by-four. All right. I won't do that, but you have to buy me a 
Oh, let's see, what's a good thing you're going to have to buy me? You're going to have to buy me a G. Loomis fishing rod. That's expensive. Okay. So read your Bible every day. That'll help make you, I mean, are you going to be motivated or not? You want to make it less? Okay. If, you, if you're a wimp, just make it less. But now you're going to use self-control, read your Bible every day. You've grown in a character trait of self-control, and it'll spread out to every ever other area of your life, even what you watch on the Internet or on your phone or on the television. You'll have a little bit more self-control. So read some more. Memorize some Bible verses every week, every day, every day. The Word of God will come into your life. The Spirit of God will work in your life. Then we'll move on to the next step and the next step, but you've got to get that one. Got to get that one. That's like building a house on the sand if you don't do that one. You've got to get the foundation down. Number seven, maintain your private prayer life with God, interceding for others that you can see are struggling with sin. Big, 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 big law of God is if I help you, he will help me. If I help you get over this sin, he will help me get over the same thing. He'll do it through people, but whatever I do for you, he will do for me. And in fact, did you know that whatever I do for you, he will do for me more? Yeah. Whatever I do for you, I get more. I get more. Give and it'll be given to you. Pressed down, shaken together, running over. It'll be poured into your lap. So whatever you want to fix, help someone else fix it. Whatever you want to change, help someone else change it. Whatever you want to conquer, help someone else conquer it. And then you will have more than you gave to be able to do the same thing. That's the law of God. And it's like a law set in concrete. It works every time. Ephesians 6.18. This is a chapter in Ephesians on defeating Satan. On defeating Satan as he tempts us to sin. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit. With this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Pray, 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 pray for everybody else around you. Pray that God would help them. Pray that God would strengthen them. Pray that God would guide them. Whatever you do for others, God will do for you more. And so you pray a lot for other people, intercede a lot for other people, and you'll be the one that receives the blessing from it. It's a basic law of God. First Timothy 2, 1 Timothy 2.1. First of all, then I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions, and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, everyone else. Matthew 7, 12, and everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. This is the law and the prophets. You know what that means? This one's set in concrete. They've been pouring concrete out there. I've been going to go out one day when they finish. I just that they pour so early in the morning. I don't get down here before it gets hard. And I'm going to come down when the concrete is soft. And I'm going to write, Mike Dedera. <laughs> Everybody will look at that and say, Mike, why'd you write your name in the concrete? You're just like a little kid. I'll say the same thing. Mike, what's the deal here? Write your name in the concrete. Ah. So, once it's in there, can we get it out? You can't rub it out. It's in there. It'll be there for a hundred years. His name. I put it there, but it'll be there. It doesn't matter. Law in concrete. 
You treat people a certain way, and that's exactly how you will be treated, not only by them, but by God. Luke 6, 31, treat others the same way you want them to treat you. Number eight, pray a personal prayer of commitment every morning. Now, this is absolutely, amazingly, infinitely, incredibly powerful. And in fact, of all the disciplines that I do in my life, this is the most important one. And I have found as much as I say it and teach it and repeat it and nag people about it, hardly anybody does this one. In fact, we could just go down through the thing and say, do you pray a prayer commitment every morning? I bet we would find six maybe in this group that do, if that. It is the most powerful discipline there is. Bar none. And it's simple. It takes three minutes, five minutes max. This morning I said, Lord Jesus, you are Lord, Master, King of my life. I will obey you. I will serve you. I will do whatever you ask, no matter how difficult or how hard it is. I give my life to you. I present myself to you as a living sacrifice. It's the only reasonable thing I can do in light of all that you've done for me. Today, I will read your word. Today, I will be devoted to prayer. Today, I will love my wife the way Christ loves the church. Today, I'll be the kind of father to my children and grandchildren that you are to me. Today, I'll do my part to build your church at JBC and around the world. Today, I will take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Today, I will speak words that edify, that build up, that give grace. Nothing that tears down or is rude or offensive to anybody. I will love any person you sovereignly bring into my life, no matter how difficult or how hard they might be to love. And then... I have some more. And then when I finish, I say, Lord, I can't come close to keeping these commitments in my power. Fill me with your spirit just today so that I can keep these commitments for your glory. Grant me wisdom to know what to do and say in any and every circumstance you put me in today. Three minutes, five minutes tops. Every morning, first thing when I get out of bed, today I will, I will, I will seek you. I will walk in a way that pleases you. I will be holy today. Grant me your power to do it. Romans 12, 1. Therefore, I urge you. That's a serious statement. I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. I urge you, present your bodies to Jesus. That's what I'm doing. Today, Lord Jesus, I'm yours. I give you my life. I present myself to you. You purchased me with your blood. I belong to you. I want to glorify you. I want to obey you. I want to please you in everything I do today. Please help me do that, Lord. Fill me with your spirit. Grant me power. Every morning, every morning, every morning, every morning. I haven't missed that for 30 plus years. Every morning, first thing. You're Lord of my life. You're a king. You're a master. I will obey you. I will serve you. I will do whatever you ask, no matter how difficult or how hard it is. I will do that. Give me the power, the strength, please. And if you do that every morning, you will move. You will move, guaranteed. You make the commitment. God's power flows to commitment. Make the commitment. I will, I will, I will. Then ask the power. Ask the strength. And the wisdom to pull it off. Now, I never have kept them all, but I do better every day.
a little bit better every day. Just a little bit every day. Closer to being what Jesus wants me to be. And never going backwards. Just keep it up every day. Faithfully reading the word. Memorizing it. Giving your life to him. Asking for strength. And you move. You move. And it works. It really does. It really does. But you got to do the basic disciplines. And if you don't, it's sort of like trying to grow corn and never watering it. You got to take care of the basics. And they're not hard. You just forget. And so make a note. Uh, Do something to remind yourself to do the basics every day. I hate sin. And I want, I want to be holy. And so I pursue it with everything that I have, depending on him for the strength. Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you for your word. I pray that you will, each one of us, Lord, will be hungering and thirsting for righteousness, pursuing it diligently, wanting it. Lord, we, we know we, we're saved by grace. We know that we don't have to be good, but we want to be because you want us to be. We want to be because it pleases you. That's what you desire is that we would be like you. And so, Lord, we pursue it. And we know that you'll give us everything we need. You'll give us the strength. You'll give us everything. And if we blow it, Lord, we just pick ourselves up and take off again with fresh resolve and forgiveness from you. Thank you for that confidence, security that we have that we can just keep on, keep on, keeping on. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.